Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to the Explaining History podcast, and today I'm going to talk about the the rise and fall of the Bretton Woods system from 1944 to 1971. Now, I've kind of touched upon this recently when I've been talking uh, about inflation and economic stagnation in the 70s, and the end of um, the uh, fixed exchange system, the gold standard, um, where Nixon took America off the gold standard in 1971. Uh, and replaced it, uh, replaced it as the replaced the dollar as a floating currency, and this really is the the end of Bretton Woods. Um, and Bretton Woods has such an important role <coughs> in the economic history of the twentieth century, um, and the uh, economic uh, revival of Germany and Japan, um, and the um, stabilization of Europe. It has an important role in the creation of um, the kind of the mid-century boom um, that we see from the in the forties, fifties, and sixties, and also in the um, consolidation of this idea of the West um, during the Cold War. So it's a fascinating um, set of kind of economic principles hammered out by former New Dealers. Um, such as Harry Dexter White and uh, John Maynard Keynes uh, in from from Great Britain, um, the um, it has its model in the U.S. New Deal, but by the time the negotiations in 1944 were finished, some of John Maynard Keynes' more optimistic, almost utopian goals uh, about stabilizing the world economic system ironing out trade imbalances and preventing there being vast disparities between rich and poor, um, crashed into the the harsh realities of uh, American power. Um, America had a world economic surplus and wasn't willing to squander it lightly or give it away, um, as no nation-state would. Um, So let's go back to the beginning and we'll we'll, um, go gradually through what Bretton Woods was um, and how it operated. 
Okay, so my book um, suggestion for the week is Yanis Varoufakis's um, and the Week Suffer What They Must. Very interesting history of the current Euro crisis um, and its uh, origins, um, really dating all the way back to Bretton Woods. John Maynard Keynes was one of the first um, economists to make a very clear and convincing case between uh, the two world wars and um, economic crisis and the idea that uh, imbalances between nations, trade imbalances, one nation being in surplus, the other nation being in deficit, um, could create huge instabilities within the, um, no, within the world economy. Keynes theorised that there was essentially uh, a surplus recycling going on, that one country that is in surplus, i.e. it sells more goods and services to another country than the other country sells to it, therefore there is a net outflow of cash from one country to uh, uh, another. Uh, one country essentially is very economically powerful and becomes a, a magnet for other people's money. When it builds up all this cash, it needs to do something with it. So it lends it to other countries, thus creating debt. The other countries become indebted and suck, and the um, uh, wealthy country sucks up more money, but it recycles it. One of the reasons it recycles the money um, is that if the other countries lose their spending power, then they don't buy the rich country's products. This is all fine and well, said Keynes. However, all you need is a financial crisis in any one of those countries, and the system becomes very fragile. Lenders stop lending, the whole merry-go-round of goods and services and money stops, and the system crashes, as happens in 1929. Very quickly, you go from uh, internationalism, globalism, trade, to protectionism, um, tariffs, beggar thy neighbour, economic policies, and you have multiple slumps, uh, multiple economic crises, from which it's very difficult to revive economies. And these are perfect breeding grounds for people like Hitler, for example. Um, and you only need to look at the uh, look at the uh, voting patterns in Germany after 1929 to see that prior to economic crisis, when there's a a, a nice and healthy period of surplus recycling uh, between America and Germany, um, and America and Germany is enjoying uh, an artificial boom, uh, Hitler's not necessary. He is an irrelevance, and no one's listening to him. And uh, the, as a result, and similarly, the the communists are polling very badly as well. After 1929, within uh, two and a half years, by um, mid 1932, the Nazis are the largest party in Germany. And Keynes, in his book, The Economic Consequences of the Peace, had uh, quite previously criticised the Treaty of Versailles, saying it did nothing to um, revive the uh, shattered economies of uh, Europe. It did nothing to bring Russia in from the cold. It did nothing, essentially, to create globalism. And um, the and he was um, quite justified, really, um, based on the subsequent results. Um, so Keynes was uh, Keynes had looked at um, the the Second World War and seen that uh, 
and all, and a more exaggerated sort of set of surpluses and deficits had built up um, by the end of the Second World War. Um, every country in Europe is bankrupt, and Great Britain um, is bankrupt also, though her infrastructure isn't half as shattered as everybody else's. And America has a fifth of the world's population and half the world's wealth by 1945. And the, it was the intention of American policymakers really to keep things that way. But the price of that would have been an extremely unstable world where, um, and eventually the uh, martial aid um, is, you know, st- steps in to kind of put the kibosh on this one. Um, you have an, we'd have an extremely unstable world which would be susceptible to uh, resurgent fascism and communism, particularly in Europe and Asia, um, the last thing that um, America wants to see. So Bretton Woods was uh, initially, uh, in Keynes's eyes, um, a vehicle for creating a, uh, a, a more balanced trade world um, where surplus recycling would have been done in a different way. Bear in mind that one, when uh, Bretton Woods is being discussed, this is the summer of 1944, so it's shortly after D-Day. The outcome of um, the outcome of the war in Europe is is clear the way it will eventually go. The time scale is still perhaps slightly unclear, but um, the, that the uh, Germans have lost the war. Um, is just a matter of time. So within that context, it gave um, the US and British governments um, scope to plan for the post-war economic order. And while there were over 40 um, Allied delegates at the meeting, um, the American uh, delegation saw that it had an unrivaled opportunity in just a few short weeks, really, to shape the post-war global economy. And this is something that is very rare um, that a a nation-state ever gets the power to do and ever gets the power to kind of formally ratify in such a complete and clear manner. Roosevelt, now not really in the best of health, um, announced that this would be an an end to uh, American isolationism. And the, that kind of uh, recurrent isolationist trend within uh, American culture would finally be consigned to uh, to history. Um, Roosevelt said that now America would become intimately connected with the tools to manage the world economy. And the most important continent for the Americans was Europe. Um, Europe had caused two world wars and unimaginable suffering where Europe's problems become the world's problems and it's always interesting that there is this adage when you know when America catches a, a, a catches has a sneeze Europe catches a cold but in a way that's not necessarily true not up till 1945 anyway when Europe has had a crisis, America has been drawn in on on two occasions, and that crisis has been exported around the world with immense bloodshed. So it was important to stabilise Europe, and the the way to do it, um, in the eyes of um, Harry Dexter White and Roosevelt, was 
to um, remonetize Europe. Europe's currencies were worthless due to wartime inflation, much of it caused by the Germans who, when they would occupy a country, would simply turn on the printing presses in order to um, pay for things, uh, in order to pay for their occupation. Um, to, in order to get the occupied country to pay for its own occupation um, and this had um, bankrupted all of Europe uh, no doubt part of the post-war uh, occupation plan would have been to uh, financially exploit these already uh, you know, inflation bankrupted countries um, so what you needed to do was to give a firm guarantee that each currency actually had some intrinsic worth and what he did that was to take a uh, Deutschmark or a franc or a, even the pound and to um, give it a parity, not necessarily a parity, but give it a fixed exchange value to the dollar, i.e. there are two francs to the dollar or what have you. And each dollar would therefore be backed by a certain amount of gold and gold would retain a fixed price. At this price it was $35. Uh, an ounce, uh, which was uh, considered a reasonable price in 1944, uh, but became excessively uh, an unfair price to pay, um, a too cheap a price to pay uh, as the, the decades wore on, which would cause fundamental problems. Once the gold standard was instituted, people could have some kind of faith in the currencies that were being bought and sold, not just um, on a, a grassroots um, everyday consumer level, but in the international money markets, and that meant that there would be people willing to invest in Europe uh, in the not-too-distant future. America was in essence sharing the dollar with the rest of the world, and the dollar and the stability and the strength Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I think that the American economy, which had boomed during the war, was really kind of America's wartime superpower. Um, the Soviets had vast amounts of manpower, and America had technological superiority, the atomic bomb, and the strength of the dollar. And it would perhaps be the strength of the dollar that would be the most decisive factor. Keynes argued that a, uh, a global currency, uh, which local currencies could be exchanged against, um, would be the, uh, the way in which uh, trade could be stabilised and imbalances could be avoided. He also argued that um, an international monetary fund should be essentially a clearinghouse for trade imbalances, that um, there were uh, instruments to uh, gradually discourage excessive build-ups uh, build of um, economic sur of, uh, surpluses um, and methods to encourage the recycling of those surpluses in a sustainable way. 
Uh, and so it meant that there would be fewer vast imbalances between uh, rich and poor um, countries and that the poor world would be, um, in Keynes's view, uh, fast-tracked in terms of, of development. Um, the problem for the Americans was that they, uh, that firstly Harry Dexter White had been sent by Roosevelt to the Bretton Woods Agreement, uh, not to come up with some utopian world view, but to come up with a stable system uh, of world finance that worked only as long as America remained in surplus. Um, and therefore is the, were the seeds of its downfall. If this system of surplus recycling created nations which suddenly became wealthy, such as, say, Germany and Japan during the post-war boom, and nations which could then uh, build their own surpluses, um, recycle their own uh, surplus cash to America in terms of uh, exports and debt... Uh, then it, the system would no longer work for the United States, and therefore the dollar, which underpinned all of it, would come under intense pressure, uh, and thus it would pull the rug out from underneath everyone's feet. So it remained. It was almost putting a future gun to the heads of European capitals, saying, "It's just not in your interests to outcompete us to the extent that you undermine the entire system." Um, obviously, it's very difficult to predict, or almost impossible to predict, what people will do in the future, or how countries will operate in the future. And therefore, there was a, a, a flaw here, and that um, the, uh, the seeds of Bretton Woods' downfall were there within the, the entire system. Because obviously, what happens is Germany and Japan the two countries that are military occupied, militarily occupied by America and the two countries where their currencies become support pillars for the dollar, pretend, protecting the rest of the world from the wilder fluctuations that might happen during uh, economic crises. These countries become uh, who are constitutionally, politically and economically restructured uh, on American, but also along social democratic lines, uh, become economic powerhouses uh, within almost within a decade of the end of the Second World War, and they uh, they um, within two or three decades are filling uh, American homes with uh, Japanese-made electronics and uh, German cars. And there is an acute sense of anxiety by the uh, um, late 1960s, early 1970s, that America has lost its um, comparative advantages um, that had been um, gifted to it by the sacrifice of American soldiers during the, the, the Second World War. Um, and the uh, that American uh, Americans weren't buying American anymore; they were buying European. And this also coincides with the extremely expensive Vietnam War. Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, um, you know, the, the development of essentially almost an American welfare state at the same time as pursuing an extremely costly, uh, debt-financed uh, American war.
and the pressure on the US currency becomes insurmountable, especially as the amount of gold that the underpins the US dollar and therefore underpins the French franc um, is hugely because it's hugely undervalued, and um, the 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 uh, US essentially winds up via the dollar and the franc selling gold to France for an absolute bargain. There's uh, a considerable amount of resentment towards this in Washington when Richard Nixon comes to power. Nixon essentially says, look, um, this has to end. And Johnson before it said, I'm pretty fed up with having to um, uh, underwrite France's economy at the expense of my ambitions in America, the Great Society, and winning the Vietnam War. Um, by selling them gold at a at a pittance. So in 1971, uh, when the decision is taken to remove uh, America from the gold standard, the uh, Europeans are told, you know, with virtually no notice, that their currencies now have to be based on the intrinsic value of their own economies. It's time for you guys to stand on your own two feet. Um, and this causes an immense crisis because the um, everything from uh, the pound to the Deutschmark has had um, a toe for the um, the last few decades. The uh, Euro- economies of Europe they've given in a huge shot in the arm by um, the support of the dollar, the globalisation of the dollar, um, but they don't have and haven't had to um, uh, to compete in quite the same way. It's not to say that the European economies are completely uncompetitive, um, but they, they haven't had their feet to the fire in quite the same way as they do now. And it's um, clear that there's a, a relationship between um, economic um, slump in the 1970s, up to 1973, and then the oil crisis really takes it in a, a whole new direction. But economic instability, up to 1973, from 71 to 73, um, and 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 the um, withdrawal of the the gold standard, the disruption to the gold standard. Also, the history of European integration makes more sense in this light. Um, when a one currency won't underwrite your national currencies, why not propose the development of another one, such as eventually, way down the line in 2000, uh, the euro? Um, Ted Heath's enthusiasm for Europe uh, after uh, winning power from Harold Wilson in 1970 uh, makes a lot more sense in this context. Um, the, uh, the, the, the free ride that uh, America um, is, has given Europe is over and the uh, and, and closer ties between the US economy and Great Britain are perhaps a less safer bet than those between Britain and Europe. Um, so there, was already, there had already been several attempts, obviously, to join the EEC at that point, uh, and um, Ted Heath's uh, 1972 application to join is eventually accepted in uh, the start of 1973. The the good things that came from the Bretton Woods uh, system was um, an unprecedented period of world economic growth. 
and the and, and based on really the, the the strength of of the dollar. But it could only really work when America was the the powerhouse of the world economy, and America was rel- relatively in in surplus. America is not a country that has been in surplus for some time. America has considerable trade deficits, and the pole of um, economic surplus from the 1980s onwards had shifted towards China. The fundamental flaw of Bretton Woods always was that it rested on America's ability to retain its surplus, and um, it's unfortunately rather utopian to assume that any country can do this indefinitely. Um, and the um, mechanisms for writing surpluses and writing imbalances um, are not with us. What are the IMF finally became, the International Monetary Fund, one of the Bretton Woods institutions, finally became, wasn't so much a a clearinghouse for global debt, but it became a device for um, instituting structural adjustment. So it became a lender, and the loans come with conditions. Um, A great many third world countries found this out um, to their detriment, but also uh, first world countries. I mean, Great Britain in 1976 takes out IMF loans um, due to its its kind of ailing economic circumstances, and these come with not dissimilar um, conditions: privatization of public services, um, an end to a commitment to full employment, um, monetarist policies. Um, uh, that were first theorised by people like Friedrich Hayek and then later Milton Friedman um, that um, created the kind of the economic and political landscape of the 1980s that suited you know politicians like Margaret Thatcher. It's always important to note that Thatcherism didn't begin with Margaret Thatcher. Um, Thatcherite uh, policies that in, in embryo form begin in 1976 where, uh, during the last two years of the uh, two and a half years of the Callaghan government um, with the uh, the IMF loan money lent to Britain that comes with serious conditions attached and structural adjustment programs. Anyway, I'm going to end it there um, just to let you know in terms of structural adjustments. The Explaining History podcast has to, has had to bite the commercial bullet. We're moving over to a new pod hoster, and we're having to brace embrace advertising but that means that there are a number of good things to come from this firstly i have um unlimited i can um, produce far more podcasts um secondly i don't have to ask anyone for uh, any financial support ever again for those who have supported me in the past i am eternally grateful um eternally grateful um and it also means i might be able to invest in a little bit more sophisticated recording equipment later on so these podcasts won't sound so grainy anyway thanks for listening and i shall catch you on the next podcast all the best bye-bye 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.